Welcome to My Waking Nightmare, the only podcast that reliably posts every Friday and never has a single guest on. I'm your host, Colton Jacobson, and today we're going to be talking about the movie again. I'm your host, Colton Jacobson, and here with me, as always, is my co-host, Evan Hansen. Evan, how you doing? I'm I'm great, you know? And, did you, and you knew you were coming on this episode? 100%. This was not a surprise at all. I totally planned for this, and it was not sprung on me last second. Great. I'm glad to hear it, because I was, I'm not planned for it at all. So if you want to take the reins for this episode, that would be great. Oh, man. Was that the one question? No, I don't no, that's not the question. I just I figured you said you'd prepared for the episode, so I, I thought, you know, you can start it off and we'll we'll see how it goes from there. Oh yeah. So, um Lawrence of Arabia, is that the the title of the movie you're watching? What is it? Yeah, yep, that's the title of the movie. That's one. How um how many times have you watched that so far this year? I've seen it six times. Six times. Okay. What stood out to you the most about the movie as being cinematic in quality like on a cinematic scale what is the best we'll do scene what's the best scene all right so we're gonna get started with the episode here (laughs) so my one question that i have written down uh that you won't stop inquiring about uh and i don't know the answer to this and i couldn't even take a guess have you seen the movie no (laughs) Great. All right. So I'm really I glad that it's I, about. I'm I'm glad that I could get you on this. I could hardly remember here. the title. All right. Right. Exactly. Um. So we're actually gonna we're actually gonna take that back. Um. Because I can only I've said multiple times in my podcast that I will only have people on who've seen the movie. So we're gonna take that back one more time. Um. So I'm gonna ask you the one question that I have written down here. Uh, have you seen the movie? Yes, I've seen the movie. All right, great. What is such a great thing about this movie? Why do you like it so much? Man, you know, I think the horses, man. The way that they just gallop through the desert on minute 37 and 14 seconds in. In uh, I, on, on mi- I'm sorry, on, on minute 37, we haven't seen a horse yet. Oh, I don't know what movie you're watching, but you know. Uh, well, we've seen camels. The camel. Oh, you know what? I've I've always had trouble with animals. Yeah, we don't. The first horse we see, I believe, is uh, when Auda comes into the movie. Auda Abu Tai, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. Um, yeah, you're right. Camels. I'm sorry. I just always, you know, switch up animals and everything. I mean, a camel's I kind of, just I, a horse with a hump, right? Yeah, exactly. They're like a horse with an extra tank, you know, extra water. So, so what sticks out to you about minute thirty-seven? You were really talking about minute thirty-seven there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you and you reminded me about the the camels, the camels. Yeah, I think that the way that that they are portrayed in their camelness and the way that they saunter about, um, you wouldn't guess that that's green screened at all. Um, and in you, fact, it's not. Which is why you wouldn't exactly right. Um, yeah, I think, no, I see. I know where you're coming from on that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
you know um yeah the fact because sometimes you'll you'll see in a film um someone will say oh wow it, it almost looks fake it looks so so real it almost looks uh, manufactured and i think you know the director david lean yep yeah 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 to put yourself in his shoes and to understand how he was able to work with the camel wranglers because those are trained camels and you know you have a you have a dog in a house it's not gonna act like a wolf in the wild right you always have to take that into consideration and i think the same goes goes with camels a camel in the house doesn't act like a wolf in the wild yep you know they always say that yeah it's just it's just pure genius that's that's what really stood out to me you know the sword fights were good um they were just not on screen you know that the not on screen sword fights well you you know that there's no there's no sword fighting Uh, it's mostly guns oh yeah yeah i i know that but you know um what i'm referring to when i talk about sword fights is Is when when that 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 guy gets his head cut off with the sword off screen not not quite because i consider the human tongue to be the most lethal of weapons so Uh, thy mother mated with a scorpion yeah 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 yeah. exactly exactly yep so when we're referring to that um you know i think when i think sword fights i think of you know linguistic duels so i think that all the linguistic duels that have happened in this film you know as rare and as sparse as they may be have been quite potent in in how they've helped develop the film so it's not quite on the level of camels but i think it's definitely very close with the impact level of the film i do agree with you i think lawrence is definitely a linguistic mastermind in that sense yeah so i guess uh that minute 37 i'm really being pulled back to minute 37 Mm -hmm. um do you remember exactly what that scene was about oh man i was i was swept away by the camels and you know when when the minute first happened i remember you know i've i've seen them have i seen the movie yes of course i have I've only seen it once, and minute 36 moved me to tears so much that I could only bring out the... I was looking through my own tears at minute 37. Okay, is there a reason... I'm just going to stop you right there. Is there a reason you liked minute 37 more than minute 36, the scene that brought you to tears? Um, perhaps it was the the haze of my joyful sorrow that came from my tears that kind of um, refracted the light as how I misinterpreted the camels being horses in that scene that's uh, maybe fair. maybe that's where some of the beauty comes from you know you you have that subjective sense of of art of a film moving art and um when you look at it through the refractions of your emotions and in this case it was the physical essence of the emotions you know tears joyful sorrowful tears i think that shows a lot and it's very it's an emotional kaleidoscope that that attributes a lot to the human condition Right, so I pulled up minute 37 here on my phone, Mm -hmm. and just about the entire minute is uh, Lawrence just talking to Colonel Brighton. Mm -hmm. Um, They are on camels, so you did did get that, and they are sauntering, perhaps, a little bit. So I do believe you when you say that you have seen the movie there. I guess... I just wanted to go through one thing I did in episode one was I kind of just ran through a basic synopsis of the film. You know, it's a long movie, so it's gonna, it's a relatively lengthy thing to try to explain. So I did run over 
some of the parts and I missed some things. And at that point, I had only seen the movie one time. Mm-hmm. So, um, but uh, do you remember when you watched the movie for the first time? Yeah. And part of the reason why it was probably such an emotional experience was because what year did it come out again? Do you remember? I do remember. I know, I know definitely off the top of my head when it came out. Do you have a guess? Um, 96? Yeah, very close. It was 1962. Cool. Yeah, definitely close. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just remember, you know, I watched it when I was eight years old. And unfortunately, you know, I had a fever of 102. And Just like w- you were in the Nafu desert. Yeah, exactly. And okay. so it kind of puts me in there. But also, you know, that might have been... Now that I think about it, it may have been less tears. The emotions were definitely there, but it was probably a mixture of tears and sweat from the fever. That's um, fair. There might have been some hallucinations that occurred just from the high body temperature. That I cannot say for sure, but it definitely, from your recollections and my recollections of the film, it may have altered some of my perceptions of some of the scenes. Um, but nonetheless, I think there's some beauty in that. That's actually that's actually really good because that'll lead me on to the next thing that I want to talk to you about as i was mentioning the basic synopsis of the film that i ran through in the first episode of my podcast uh would you be able to i know it's been a while since you've seen the movie near 20 years at this point yeah but would you be able to give me a a plot synopsis of what you remember just run through the whole three hours and 47 minutes for me yeah i can i can break that down for you now keep in mind you know saw this when i was eight years old and you were you were having a fever dream essentially fever dream essentially a lot of emotions you know early so i'm not i'm not expecting you to to get it exactly on i just want what you remember yeah so essentially you know lawrence he's born in america and he his um his mother dies at an early age he never really knew her and he goes out in the street one day despite his father's wishes and then he gets kidnapped by a cartel mob who is doing illegal trainings over in Egypt uh, via Mexico so he doesn't of course so he gets brought on as sort of a prodigy because the the drug lord the cartel lord he's unable to have children and so he sees this young boy as he was playing, and it, remi- it reminded him a lot of his childhood in Egypt, despite being in America. So, you know, he took him, promised him a new home, you know, a palace, and he took him away. And essentially, Lawrence, the father, it's the movie is essentially his mission to find his long lost son. And he, um, when he, tracks the cartel via mexico while he's in mexico lawrence of arabia takes place the first part of the movie takes place in mexico um the the backstory takes place as a mixture of the united states and egypt right yep but then i'd say if you were to call it acts i'd say act two takes place in mexico where he where he um he meets a slightly mentally disabled woman who tags along and then helps him look for his son so they head over they find out that they went over to egypt so they head over there via boat and during that time you know they encounter somali pirates tidal waves um troublesome weather how did they travel over there um by boat okay and then they stopped they stopped over in africa 
and then that's when they would get on the camels and headed towards Egypt. Okay, uh, and that's the end of Act Two. Or? Yeah, um, Act Two. I would say Act Two concludes with them getting on the boat or being um, having themselves smuggled on the boat. And that's when the intermission ends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the. And then it kind of cuts to them being. Yeah, in it's a it's a hard cut. It almost is reminiscent of something Tarantino would do with when he puts on chapters. Um, in his films, it's a little bit unorthodox, but it's definitely... Well, the, a fun fact, actually, is uh, Quentin Tarantino actually got this from David Lean, who was the director of Lawrence Oh, no Arabia. way. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, but it's definitely reminiscent of a director's style. And I think, you know, that's attributed to David Lean. But What happens yeah, uh, next? So then after, you know, they're smuggled on, hard cut, I would say that Act 3... Yeah, you can say Act 3 comes to when they come off the boat on Africa and then they start making their way over to Egypt, you know, having the same um, similar hardships that they had on the boat, but this time just on land, you know, encountering wild animals, different rival drug lords, which they actually... I don't want to spoil it. I don't know what your policy on the podcast is about spoiling. No, absolutely. Okay. Go ahead and spoil they it. They actually, how they're able to rescue Lawrence's son is to is to gain the help of the rival drug cartel member. Do you remember his name? The rival drug cartel member. Yeah, I believe it was Antoinette. His name was yep. his name was Antoinette, um, which yep. was, you know, it's it, it's kind of that movie trope where. You know, you have kind of the the more traditionally feminine name with the masculine character, and it kind of throws the characters in the film off. Um, and it was it was very popular thing to do in the in the nineteen sixties when it became uh, comes to yeah. films. Yeah, it it I think the reason it became so popular is because it was a groundbreaking trope in Lawrence of Arabia, um, mm-hmm. which was really a you know it was a milestone as far as that goes. But that's that's honestly uh, there's been interviews with David Lean where they said, what do you think has attributed to the success of your film? And he said, I think it's uh, a big part of it is in due uh, to Antoinette. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. So so he believes that too, that, that uh, Antoinette definitely brought on the success of the film, at least mm-hmm. in part. That's so interesting how you get different things from the film, because, you know, granted, you know, Fever Dream and all, but like the camels are what did it for me. But, mm-hmm. you know, if the majority goes for Antoinette, now, was that the general population critiques or is that more film critics? Who That was more uh, David Lean himself. Okay. So the one who actually directed the movie. Okay. You want to just quickly run me through the rest of the film? Yeah. Uh, how how far of, are we into of, the movie at this point? Yeah. Uh, we're about at the um, 2.45 mark at this point is when... Okay, so there's another hour. Yeah, no, that's when they um when they meet when they meet Antoinette. Mm-hmm. That's when you've got about an hour left, and at that point, it's tracking down Lawrence's son and Trevor. This is his name, by the way. I don't know if I mentioned that. You did not. Okay. But that, yeah, yep. you are right. Yes. So, um, his son Trevor, they're they're tracking him down, and they have their um, like I said once again, I hate saying the same word, their hardships, but they've got their obstacles. I'll say obstacles. They've got more of the obstacles that are more unique to the drug cartel world. And then from going after the son, Trevor, they actually go undercover as, you know, 
drug cartel trainees, of course, for, for Antoinette's rival gang. So that way, and he allows them access because he knows that they can get him information about the drug lord. So that way he can bring him down. So it's kind of two birds in one stone deal there. Um, so they're able to get their son back and they're able to provide the drug cartel lord with key information. But there's kind of that tense scene there towards the end because there's there's the big battle when they sneak into the warehouse and and they don't get any information for him, but they actually set off a bunch of the weapons that he has in store. The main classic drug, scene. Yep. The main drug cartel lord's name is Hefe, by the way. Um, don't know if I mentioned that. I don't think I did. But I don't think you did. So no. when they're when they're in Hefe's warehouse in in Egypt, you know, it's and which is hidden under the pyramids of Giza. So they gain access under the pyramids of Giza to Hefe's underground drug cartel lair, um, warehouse, whatever you want to call it. And then they they have to weigh the odds whether or not they want to blow up all these drugs and leave with their son because there's no information present so they know that they'll be in Antoinette's debt forever and that they'll be followed relentlessly so they have to think okay do we want to destroy this monument like one of the seven wonders of the world in order to save our son and be running forever and essentially ruin his life or you know so it's actually really interesting how they decided to to blow up just end the film end the film with the the pyramid just blowing up yeah, I think it's actually interesting. I think it's kind of beautiful how it kind of caves in on itself. I'd, mm-hmm. I'd consider it more of an implosion than an explosion, but like I said, you know, fever dream and all that. Right. Um, no, it was definitely an explosion. Definitely an explosion. That's so yeah. weird. That's so weird what fevers will do to you. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I thought that it was beautiful how they sacrificed um, one of the seven wonders of the world to to save their son and to ensure his safety. And, you know, you know, the, the woman was a great comic relief the whole time. It was kind of annoying how much trouble she would get them into. But overall, I really think that that her role as a comic relief really outweighed, at least from her the role as an annoyance. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess my question is, uh, have you ever thought about, I don't know how often you think about the movie. I think about it constantly at this point. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's nothing I can do where I'm not thinking, oh, I should just be watching Lawrence of Arabia. Oh, of course. Is there ever a point in your life that you've wondered why the movie titled Lawrence of Arabia takes place in America, Mexico, and Egypt and not in Arabia? You know, I think that's really to throw people off. Okay, so it's kind of uh, gotcha. I got you in the movie because you're interested in Arabia, but it's actually a movie that takes place mostly in Egypt. Yeah, and I think that's really, like I said, just to throw people off. I mean, I don't think that it has anything to do with my lack of knowledge on geography and just then relying... Obviously not. And then, you know, just relying on the basics of... Deserts. um, of, Of deserts and knowing that Mexico is south of america and that Mm -hmm. africa is west or east (laughs) and that egypt is even more east in africa i don't think that at all is my lack of geographical knowledge no because you you know where things are located in the world of of course i do yeah i mean that's my strong suit i did not struggle with that in school at all you're actually a geography teacher is that correct studying to be um okay it's a it's a two-year program i am on year seven Gotcha. So you're you're almost there. Almost you're... there. Yep. I've got I've been on the last semester for about three years. So okay. we're we're almost there. I think I've got about another two left. 
And I guess my last question about the movie itself is, uh, is it weird at all to you? I know some people have complained about it in the past, um, but that scene where Lawrence is born in America, is it weird at all that that scene is in the movie considering he is British? No, I don't, I don't really think that's weird. I think that, um, that they overcome that by, you know, you've, you've heard of the most recent, I think, news story about the Texas family that was overseas and they wanted their son to be born on, on Texas soil. So they had a bunch of Texas soil shipped out. Yep. Um, yep. Because it's, know, it's faster to ship soil overseas than it is to just come back. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. So yep. yeah, I think that by them kind of doing that originally with just the plot of land from from the uk was just kind of a clever kind of out of the box way to overstep that and have him technically be british also having him be raised in a household and in a school with only british people really helped with the accent and all of that exactly so you know he's kind of in this bubble this cultural echo chamber of british culture within america and you know i think there's a lot to be said on that um, in a lot of other contexts that you can draw, but at that point, it kind of feels like, you know, your English teacher saying, oh, why did the author say that the curtains are blue? Was he sad? And it's like, no, the curtains were just blue. Like the, his parents just wanted him to, you know, be embraced in the British culture. So you can analyze that pretty deeply, but at the same time, you kind of have to wonder to what extent should you be analyzing that and how deep. Mm-hmm. I mean, you remember the movie pretty well for seeing it 20 years ago in a fever. Yeah. I mean, you know, especially when you're younger, those memories really really impact you um and they kind of hone in and i think there's probably a lot of neuroplasts this is probably this is a scientific fact 100 percent no sarcasm that fevers because they heat the brain up increase neuroplasticity and increase long-term memory so the fact even though that my that i was deluded a little bit with how i saw the movie that is why it is so ingrained into my memory was because of the fever increased the neuroplasticity due to high temperatures, which led to higher long-term memory. And how has this movie impacted you throughout your life? Not very much. I mean, you know... That's fair, yeah. I I probably... I use it more as a reference point to, you know, when I was sick, because, mm-hmm. you know, I was, I was sick for, for two years straight um, from that. So I watched a lot of other movies while having a fever, but I think that was the first time that I actually had a fever in regards to the context of that illness that lasted two years okay so it's i hey i'm 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 sick i'm staying home from school i'm watching lawrence of arabia is the first thing i'm doing exactly so it's it's not so much more of as i remember the movie for itself it's more as it pinpoints a time in my childhood specifically and we'll be right back after a quick break not about the movie anymore but i have googled uh podcast interview questions i have not read these at all so i don't know what we're gonna expect if we want to skip them we can definitely skip them okay Uh, we can go through them fast i have no idea like i said i have not read it so i don't know what to expect uh number one what's something people seem to misunderstand about you oh gosh that's 
Oh, we could go deep with that one. I don't know. Um, I mean, it's in the same vein as the rest of the podcast, I'd like to think. Yeah, of course. I've I've gotten that um, I come across as intimidating sometimes when really I think that I have a big heart. You know, I've got a lot of learning and growing to do. But in geography specifically. Yeah, exactly. You know, my heart is in geography. The The map of my soul is my capillaries and veins are the roadways to my existence, etc. So... I really think that that attributes the factors to the thing that it is. Uh, number two, what should I ask you that I didn't know enough to ask? What don't I know about the things I don't care to think about? Uh, number three, what don't you know about the things you don't care to think about? Nothing. Okay, that's that's a good answer. Number four, show me on the doll where he touched you. Okay, um... Uh, number five, tell me about a patient that touched your heart and tell me about a patient that changed your practice. Oh man. You know, I don't know if they know who I'm interviewing. I don't know. Uh, what makes you feel inspired or like your best self? Oh man. I would have to say cucumber water. Cucumber water is insanely underrated. I, I don't, I don't know how much I can say about it. Honestly, like, do you want this to go on for three hours? I, I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think so. Uh, well, we'll so leave it at cucumber water. We'll leave it at cucumber water for yeah. now. Uh, what is one thing that your program did for your client that you didn't expect? Once again, I don't know if they know who we're, who we're talking yeah. about here. Uh, if you could have a billboard with anything on it, what would it be and why? Cucumber water. See, that's what I thought you were You don't know say. what you're missing. Yeah, I, I, I think, and it would just be a glass of cucumber water, or would it be like an infuser that has a cucumber in the top, and then it's water. Depends on the demographic you're trying to reach. Well, what demographic are you trying to reach? Oh, well, that depends on where you put the billboard. Yeah, we'll leave it at that. If you could turn back the time and talk to your 18-year-old self, what would you tell him slash her? Say, rewatch Lawrence of Arabia. <laughs> More often? More often. Yeah. Starting at least now. Twi- twice a week? Twice at least. Minimum. For like a decade. Yeah. Uh, if in 150 years science fails to save us and all that is left is a book about your life, what would the title be and what would the blurb tell us about insert name? Oh, man. Evan Hansen. He sure did try. <laughs> what, what does being ridiculously human mean to you? Embracing all the highs and lows and spikes of the human condition and not, not overanalyzing it, but thinking deep about it. If you had 100 million pounds to spend on health tech and no red tape, how would you spend it? I mean, is this pounds of money? Or y- Yeah, I think it's, it's pounds as in like the, the European Oh, so it's not, it's, it's not weight? The weight not of weight, dollars? Not 100 million, not 100 million weight. Oh, okay. So it's 100, 100 million, million quid. Okay. Quid. Um, in the in the medical sector, suspend on health tech and no red tape. Oh wow, yeah, I'd probably just go to Google and or Amazon. They're taking over. Uh, yeah, I would probably spend it on health tech and not on red tape. Um, oh, yeah, know, I was thinking about blue tape. That's why you I, could I, buy blue tape with it. You, as long you could, as, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know what? I'm guessing depends on which one's harder to make because. Certain pigments of paint cost more and way more. Do you know that they actually, the reason why they use white paint on airplanes? I got nothing. Because it's the lightest of all the paints and the most fuel efficient. Because the pigments of the other paints actually weigh more 
and reduce fuel efficiency. So black would be the worst paint to use. I'm not saying that at all. No, just the other other colors of paint that aren't the color white in the context of... But you would think that white being the lightest color would be... It's because it's, you know, that's why it's it's the mm-hmm. lightest color. So you would think the darker the color, the, the heavier it would be? Yes, I'm treading softly. Okay. Uh, what's the most important thing you've learned in your life? What is your life like before learning it? What was your life like after learning it? Oh, gosh. I don't know if there is one euphoric moment or anything. I think it's an, for me, it's been an ongoing process that's been kind of collecting that I learn and relearn and some things I have to take out of like I've got this jar of stuff I've learned that's my brain and I sometimes I have to take stuff out relearn some things learn some new things relearn some things so I don't think there's a specific thing off the top of my head I'm sure if I look back through my notes I could find something but I think kind of as a philosophy that that kindness trumps most if you could do anything to improve health and healthcare in rural America what would you do in rural improve man i am underqualified right, we're skipping that one okay if you <laughs> if i could remove all barriers and constraints what project would you do and would you want to be known only by that project i can't narrow it down for you with that it's too many right. possibilities what is the best compliment you have ever received i don't know if it's the best but it's definitely the weirdest someone came up to me once and said you know if you led a cult i definitely join it i love that <laughs> All right, one more question. Right. How would your parents describe what you do for a living? Well, considering that because of the pandemic that I'm unemployed at the moment. Um, it's all just schooling for you, huh? Yeah. I mean, it's mostly the geography right now. So I'd say pride that I'm this persistent with geography. All right. Now the final question. Mm-hmm. If you could have dinner with any three people, dead or alive... Who would it be and why? I would say Matthew McConaughey, Teddy Roosevelt, and Jesus Christ. Because All right. Why not? Uh, last question. Mm-hmm. What would you pick for a last meal? Oh, sushi and whiskey. Why? They don't pair well. That's You clearly don't know your whiskey or your sushi. I have never had either. Yeah. Well. So, no, I don't. All right. So, final question. Of course. Write down what your goal is with the interview. Um, okay. Um, we're going to skip that one. Okay. Uh, last question. Jot down the questions you have about the guest or what they do that's on the top of your head. Um, make a list of everything the guest does or interested in apart from what they primarily do. Uh, write down a list of things you'd like to personally know and learn from the guest. Uh, uh, we're, we're just going to have one last question. All right. Sounds good. Think from the guest perspective. Um, if you found this article useful, leave a comment below and tell me one question you came up with. Or if you think you have a question I must consider for another post on this series, leave that question in the comments below. Why don't grapes taste purple? They do. That's the problem. Mm. Some grapes are green. But do they taste green? No, they taste purple. Mm. All right. I've been your host, Colton Jacobson. 
With me, as always, Evan Hansen. We'll see you on the next episode, right, Evan? As always. We'll, be, we'll both be back next time. My name is Colton Jacobson, and I've seen Lawrence of Arabia six times, giving me 4,994 days to watch it 995 more times. <laughs>